0: Our reading this morning is from Isaiah chapter 58. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions. And seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves, and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please, and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife, and in striking against each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today, and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, When you see the naked, to clothe him, and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then your light will break forth like the dawn, and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves, In behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun scorched land and will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob, The mouth of the Lord has spoken. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: And as I said, also, we're in in the middle of a sermon series on mercy, uh, mercy and justice. And uh, we've done uh, kind of God's mercy and justice to us. And we did last week. uh, Really, if you weren't here last week or for some reason didn't hear it, uh, we're in nursery or something like that. I've been um, I've been listening to sermons on mercy and justice and uh, have been reading on the topic. Uh, most of my christian life and uh, pastor howard's sermon last week was one of the best things i've ever heard on the matter Uh, so it's online if you didn't get a chance to hear it about how the church can be merciful and just to each other Um, it's really amazing it's really uh, quite a quite a sermon so i uh, i send you that way Um, uh, but now we're going to do about uh, talk about mercy and justice with the church or the community of god's people to the world and this is a tough one this is this is a weird one because uh, a vision for uh, mercy and justice for the world can be can be a tricky thing. I uh, uh, didn't write my sermon for three hours on um, Friday because I went to go see Star Wars, uh, uh, the, the the third episode, on Friday, um, and you can tell me later if I should have skipped that and worked on the sermon instead. But uh, but here's why it's strange: it's because when you talk about religious folk and world peace, or justice and mercy. No religious folk keep from that, using those terms. All religious folks say, well, this is the right way to go. It was so interesting to see, you know, the the Sith folk, the bad guys and the good guys. I won't, um, I won't, uh, I don't even know all the terms. I'm not really a geek. I just like it when the lightsabers come out and they start killing, I mean, start uh, warring. Uh, But... uh, and and uh, uh, so the bad guys are going, this is about justice and peace. And the good guys are about, this is about justice and peace. And so anybody who has this kind of philosophy about justice and peace uh, is seems to be in danger. And so in our world, in our day and age, we've actually said, you know what? So then therefore we shouldn't ever say there's such thing as absolute truth. Boy, that's that's a tempting way to go. That's a really tempting way to go. I don't think it's the biblical way to go, and it's really hard to talk about things like being just and merciful in a community when you have the Crusades in your background as a church. You know, when you have all sorts of messed up things that we've done, or this kind of um, kind of uh, religious right takeover of of, of Christian worldview. Or religious left takeover at times in our history of, uh, uh, of Christian worldview. So I'm scared. I'm scared to 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 just to kind of put in your head something I'm, that the Bible is not putting in your head. Um, I'm scared to to talk about these things because um, because I think um, I think it's so close to so many things that we all hold to so dearly that. Uh, That that we might confuse what is our own and what is of the scriptures, what is of the word of God. Um, It seems dangerous to me, but it's so needed. the The very thing we talk about—mercy and justice to the world, kindness uh, restores of broken places, as our scripture says. It's so needed. Our world is dying for such a thing. I was reading, um, uh, I don't know if you ever t- pay attention to those creeds and where they come from, but one is from a man named Cyprian in about 250, and he writes this. This seems a cheerful world when I view it from this fair garden under the shadow of these vines. But if I climbed some great mountain and looked out over the wide lands, you know very well what I would see. Brigands on the high road, pirates on the seas, in the amphitheaters, men murdered to please the applauding crowds. Under all roofs, misers and selfishness. It really is a bad world, Donatus. It really is a bad world. I love the refreshing statement. It's just, you know, it's just kind of, it's a bad world. And we need a vision for mercy and justice i was thinking about uh, this as i was listening to and this is i'm saying at the risk i'm glad pastor howard's not here because um well because i was listening to uh, how to dismantle an atomic bomb which is u2's new album and howard is convinced that all white evangelical men have an idolatrous love of u2 <laughs> and bono to use his words <laughs> so that we all love bono Now I would have the subsequent, hey man, we gotta talk about Whitney then. We gotta talk about Whitney because Whitney can't do anything wrong either, you know, no matter what she's doing. Bono can drop an F-bomb in front of everybody, but Whitney can do some crazy stuff too, and y'all don't get mad. Uh so anyway, so we have all our idolatrous love. So I wanna I was listening to How to Dismantle an Atomic Bomb, and it's just a great album. It's a great album because the very title Doesn't have anything to do with any of the other songs in this sense. There's no, there's no song, How You Dismantle an Atomic Bomb. You have to kind of read through the songs and listen your way through the songs and be taken on the journey, uh, through these songs. And I think that it has the same kind of, uh, desire, that is, to bring justice. I really don't think it's a metaphor. I really think that the way that album takes you through really is, is what he thinks will help bring things like world peace. I don't think a lot of people have written, well, what the what is the atomic bomb? I actually think that he thinks that uh, if you kind of walk along this album, you come from vertigo, this place of, 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 of confusion and difficulty, ending in the last song, Yahweh, the God of Israel, that it actually dismantles bombs. Real bombs. All the other bombs as well. I think the metaphors could be true, but I think Bono is... I can't do it anymore. Uh, I think Bono actually believes that Yahweh has the power to do such things. He has songs on there like uh, Sometimes You Can't Make It On Your Own. Can you imagine a rock star, literally a rock star, talking about weakness and brokenness? Who? What? What? No. Love and peace or else. It's another song on there. It's a great song. Crumbs from your table, which is a biblical allusion to Jesus' words. One step closer, and as I said before, it ends with Yahweh. It says in there, lay down your treasure on love and peace and or else. Lay down your treasure. Lay it down now, brother. You don't have time before a jealous lover. As you enter this life, I pray you'll depart with a wrinkled face and a brand new heart. We need some release, release, release. We need some love and peace. Lay it down. Lay down your guns, all you daughters of Zion, an allusion to to Israel, all you Abraham's son, an allusion to Israel and the church. See, Bono thinks that the church has a response to this. The church is in the mix of how to dismantle atomic bombs. And the scriptures do too today. The very first verse is actually very terrifying to us. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people the rebellion, and to the house of Jacob their sins. Say why well, i don 't want to do this sermon <laughs> it 's a trumpet blast. I wish Pastor Howard were here so we could bless that blast that trumpet so we could hear kind of the piercing urgency that the, uh, Isaiah is bringing to us to be about justice and peace. It's a, definite, it's a deafening noise. It's a big deal. And it's something we're missing. I bemoan the fact that our churches, our churches, Presbyterian churches, I'm going real narrow, our Presbyterian church in America churches, our churches of the little three churches that we have, it's so radical that we have a, 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 a people are like coming in and kind of saying, what are y'all doing? You're, this is so amazing that we have this kind of Christian United Way, if you will, thing. I mean, this should be like Standard and it's just so crazy that we would do something like this in other people's eyes. That's how bad it is. That's how bad off we are. Nicholas Woltersdorf, uh who's a professor at uh Princeton, yeah, one of them really smart places. Um, he's a Presbyterian and he says uh and uh, he says I have learned the radical origins of the tradition in which I was reared. Learning of those origins has given me a deepened appreciation of my own identity. It has also produced in me a profound discontent over my tradition's loss of radicalism? Why has it become so quietly, sometimes even so oppressively, conservative? I hope the words that will follow, in this is a book he's writing, uh, my, uh, will change matters. My goal is to contribute to the formation of a new consciousness and a firmer resolution. I am persuaded that the deepest reason for the perpetuation of our predicament is that too few people in our Western society are persuaded that things ought to be different. And that they are called to work toward a new order. We don't get it. We just don't get it. But the passage today does. Do you understand what it says towards the end there? It says in verse 12, Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairers of broken walls, restorers of streets with dwellings, beauty makers in Nodah, Our our, label—that's our—that's—that's who we're supposed to be called. God made us longings for world peace, made us have longings for world peace—not utopia, not even Eden, but even restored a new heavens and a new earth. And so, how do we do it? How do we dismantle these bombs of oppression? How do we dismantle the real bombs we're talking about? I think our scripture gives us a couple ways, a couple things to concentrate on, and they're going to seem odd because. What I really, what would be tempting to do is to tell you, here are the five ways to create a really good organization that's going to fix this thing. I'm going to give you three UN positions to be taken over. I'm going to give you four uh, high-level cabinet issues, both in both or three or four parties, or to create a new party, or I'm going to give you all those things, and then that will do it. But you know, by now, especially here, that we don't ever do that. (laughs) That the issues are deeper and harder and truer and more real and more practical, too. I think we're supposed to concentrate on authenticity. We're supposed to uh, adjust our focus and take a look at our dependence. Authenticity, focus, and dependence. Look in verse uh, 2 with me, if you would. Let's talk about an authenticity test a check a gut check for reality for day after day they seek me out they seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its god they ask me for just decisions and seem eager for uh, god to come near to them the gut check is a gut check on hypocrisy what's in our midst what's the authenticity of our prayers you see it what we're going to go through here in a little bit is an authenticity of both our kind of home life, our church life, our work life, but also uh, uh, a check on our our, uh, our our ignorance and the evil that we may or may not do. It's a it's a it's a hypocrisy meter, if you will. And we're supposed to look at the hypocrisy meter and find out where we are. And I think there's two types of hypocrisy that it's kind of bringing out here when we test our authenticity and we look at our authenticity is ignorance. And evil, and I'm trying to use the, 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 the terminology that's in the scripture here. But uh if we talk about ignorance, we see here that that uh they seek me out day after day, they're eager to do so. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen in verse five? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for a bowing one's head like a reed, and for lying on sackcloth and ashes, which is grieving, uh for living on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Let me uh, be clear with you what a fast is, at least in the Christian tradition. A fast in the Christian tradition is to withhold from something, to to keep from doing something, eating often, uh, drinking sometimes. Uh, Jesus fasted for 40 days at the beginning of his ministry to start his ministry. Um, a fast is some type of withholding of yourself something in order to uh, kind of uh, clear everything up. From your end, uh, your relationship with the Lord—it's all clear from the Lord's end. You're not actually maneuvering the Lord in any way. You're just kind of uh, uh, cleaning out the closet a little bit, um, uh, so you can see more clearly. Uh, uh, Jesus is there, working with you and for you the whole time. But, uh, but that's kind of what it is. And so he's—he's he's going after the sincerity. They're—they're—they're they're, they're, they're going after sincerity with respect to their religious practices. These are folks who go to church on Sunday. They like good preaching. They're eager to know my ways, the Scripture says. Day after day, they seek me out. They have good, quiet times. They ask me for just decisions. They're in some ways dealing with uh, a justice in their own midst. And it's not really a lack of sincerity. It's a lack of clarity and understanding about how their religious practices are so divorced from everything else in their lives. These are not people who... Um, who are, as we can tell as far as we can tell Israel of old 700 years before Jesus comes um, that, that that they're uh they're being purposefully deceptive on the front end there are people who are fasting who are trying to observe religious practices but what's it's a blindness to how selfishness can come in it's 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 blindness to how we can baptize our selfishness and our greed and our independence in the waters of a christian subculture it's offering up these pristine prayers uh, and then turning around and yelling at our, our children or our spouse or our friends or our dog or whatever it is. And you see it a hundred times, religious folk, Christian or not, the sincerity is not really worth it. The sincerity doesn't mean anything. It actually has to have an authenticating reality in your experience. You can mean real good stuff, but there's got to be some type of fruit that is seen in there. And so we've got to test our prayers. We ask to ask the Lord for clarity. Are, are my prayers just other ways to hoodwink you into my ways, Lord? What am I about? What am, I, am I getting you on my side or am I getting on your side? And one of the great ways that it goes on to tell us about is when we look at the hypocrisy meter, we're not just looking at the ignorance of our, of our religious practices, but the hypocritical evil. And this is where, frankly, Isaiah gets a meddling. This is where he starts messing with us. There's a dichotomy between our devotion and our deeds. And he talks about their fasting. And he says, On the day of fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing finger and the malicious talk, the accusation. You see... Isaiah is saying, you know what, if you're going to check the hypocrisy meter, you've got to check it Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday. It's every day of the week. This is church fights and home fights and work fights. And it's this begging God to listen to you so you can get your way. And the Bible assumes that we can be really bad. This dichotomy between words and deeds, I was... uh, don't ask me why. Well, I was flipping through TV, and they had um, it said, "Woman addicted to um, plastic surgery." So I, you know, of course, I'm like, "Well, that's really interesting. I how, that's a very uh, unfortunate, costly addiction." But, uh, but so here they said, "Okay, we're going to do you know these great, noble like Entertainment Tonight type places that are you know showing this thing that don't ever." you know, cause any of the plastic surgery problems, you know, that this person might have. Um, but, uh, but they're going to do an intervention. And who do they get for the intervention? Some guy called Dr. 90210. They get Dr. 90210 who has a show about plastic surgery to do an intervention on this woman who's addicted to interventions. Not that his show is creating half of her problems in the first place. And he probably got paid for it. So he gets paid for the front end, the back end, everything. And you know what? He seems sincere. He was in fact sincere. He didn't get it. He didn't get, this is like when VH1 or MTV does, you know, we need to, um, stop the objectification of women. Half hour show. In the middle of 23 hour and a half of objectification of women. It's kind of like, I mean, I was thinking, what, what's an equivalent? It'd be like the KKK giving to the United United Negro College Fund. Yeah. Sincerely. It's easy to pick on them. What about us? I was listening to a montage on NPR today, uh, Friday, I think it was. It was just disturbing. There's a documentary by a North Carolina film company or group that's doing homosexuality in a church. I think it's called Gay in the Church. I don't know what it is. It's about North Carolina folk. And... Uh, Well, just the montage just broke me down. It was just little snippets of how people have been dealt with in our churches when they were gay. One stuck out in particular in which um, after a funeral of this man, this man was homosexual, he went to uh, the funeral of his father. And uh, when he got back into his car, after burying his dad, there was this hate note on his car so, you know how, uh, It says, how could you do this to your family? And he just berated him for pages on pages on end. And, uh, That's evil. And it was probably sincere. The person said, was probably coming to the Scriptures and saying, Scriptures, teach me what it means about homosexuality. I think that move is legitimate, good, right, and true. We should go to the Scriptures for all things. But you just got to read a little bit longer. No, you can't treat people like that. (laughs) That we all bear the image of God himself and we treat each other with dignity and respect, even if we disagree about very important things, like people's sexuality, which is hugely important. I just want to stop here and apologize. I want to apologize for our churches, for those who call the name of Christ, one who shepherds those who call in the name of Christ. And I want to say, we failed. We've come up from our quiet times and berated human beings. Whether you're gay or not, or whatever, we have treated you poorly. Some of you have been abused physically and verbally and spiritually, sexually, And we did nothing. We did not sound the trumpet of justice as the scripture teaches. We did not. And we failed. I ask you to not hold it on Yahweh's account. Hold it on his people's account. Hear from the word of God himself who is calling his people to account. Who is calling his people to account. Says, This is not what I will allow. Yahweh hates the hypocrisy of His people. And He makes it evident throughout Scripture. Test the authenticity of religious practices, church. The way it manifests in community, both in the church and in the broader community. If you're responsible for personal wages, you know, it was talking about exploiting the poor after uh, having a fast. Uh, How just are they? I don't want to get in a debate about minimum wage. I want you to ask how just they are. Can you live on it? Would you want your cousins to live on it? Would you want your family to live on it? Would you figure it out? I, I don't care who does it. I don't care if they get, you want to do the government. I, I just don't care. I'm, I'll leave it to smarter people. I'll just preach and you all figure that stuff out. Who can figure that stuff out? Who are called to that end? I'm not trying to take off responsibility. I'm just not smart enough. And you who have been called to employ are. The Lord's giving given you the ability to do that. And that is good and right and true. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's... Uh, it, I'm not saying it won't be heartbreaking and financially breaking. I'm just saying we're called to those things. We come out of Bible studies and relationships. we got Bank of America Bible studies and Wachovia Bible studies. But how do we do when we get in the boardroom? We pray up and then forget it as policies are made and decisions are made that hurt each other. We take communion together on Sunday morning and then gossip about each other on the way down the aisle. We sing rigorously together and we hate each other in our hearts sometimes. I'm not saying we always do this all the time. I ain't beating you up, really. I'm just asking you to do this gut check. Check this out. See if it's real and true. The Lord is calling us to an authenticity that ultimately brings peace on earth and goodwill toward men. That, that actually dismantles the bombs within us and with the other people, and actually dismantles real bombs in real, real day and ages. That actually puts guns back in holsters, if you don't have holsters anymore. But you know, guns back in stuff. I don't know, pants probably. <laughs> um, uh, you know, this is kindness. This kind of uh, moving away from uh, this hypocrisy is, and it's, and again, it can be an ignorant hypocrisy. I'm not saying we get it. I'm saying we have to talk and work through it. Here's how you know. Here's how you know when you're hitting the red line of hypocrisy. It's actually in our scripture. It's verse three. Why, why, why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you haven't noticed? You know when you're redlining on the hypocrisy meter and when you start whining. God, I did everything right. You hadn't come through. It's when you treat them like an ATM, you're just kicking that ATM trying to get that money out you put in. Then you know you're hitting that hypocrisy meter because you're now no longer the servant. You're the Lord. And he was supposed to serve you. And you put your money in and you get your stuff out and you work in them like a machine. So you know what happens when you go, but but we played by the rules, but we did everything right, but 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 that's when we know. I'm not trying to say following Jesus isn't about ache. I'm saying it's not about wine. As we will see, following Jesus is about suffering and hurting and, and struggling through those things. I'm not trying to put on a smiley face Christianity. That is not what I'm saying. I think you've been around us long enough to know that's definitely not the case for us. Um, but... Um, but it's this kind of whine, this kind of, well, I didn't get my way. I didn't negotiate God well enough. I didn't do Him, I I didn't broker the deal well enough, or He didn't keep up to the end of the bargain. I'm going to put this money in the offering plate, but I know I'm going to get a good job when I do it. Now, there's all sorts of stuff that's going on there, and I I don't want to get too far into it, but let me help us with it to say that. The faithful, and this is actually a quote from David Speakman, who and I were talking, and I told him I was going to quote him. The faithful locate the problem with themselves. The non-faithful locate the problem with God. And so an authenticity check is to check where you're locating your wine. Are you locating it in yourself? Or are you locating it in God? And I think this is what's happening in Vertigo, the song by you 2 the very first song. He's going... This is a very confusing place. I don't see clearly. I don't know where my hypocrisy is. I don't know where it's right, where it's good. And he says, hello, hello. We're at a place called Vertigo. I won't try to sing it like that. Uh, lights go down and all I know is that you're giving me something I can feel. Something, you're giving me something. I can feel your love teaching me. Your love is teaching me how. Your love is teaching me how to feel. And I think feel Really. And then it goes on to say, your love is teaching me how to kneel. Where he is no longer Lord, but he is kneeling before the Lord. Clarity about the vertigo of our lives comes when we kneel. I don't know if you've done much Bono listening, but kneel happens a lot in Bono's lyrics. Um, In fact, later on it says, I'm not really good at kneeling. (laughs) Uh, And... uh, and so there's something about having a Lord over us that, that that's going on there. Okay, that was the long the longer point. Is let's get a reality check, a gut check on our hypocrisy. But there's something else that happens. It's not just this kind of authenticity meter we're looking at, this kind of how authentic we are, but it's a focus adjustment that happens. This happens kind of in the later verses. The Bible assumes a focus for people for. Well, to lack a better term, for Christian folk, and that focus is self. You see, it's the why have we fasted? Why have we fasted? And you not seen us? It's um, uh, how come you haven't uh, done justly about in, in terms of the judgments that we've had. And so it's saying uh, that we are a, we need an adjustment between from a focus on self to a focus on the other. And you can find it out in the, in the transition between verse five and six. I'm going to read those two, and you'll see the switch that happens. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? This is all self-stuff. Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Transition. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. You see, the transition was my kind of personal relationship with Jesus, which is important, but all focused on self and how me and Jesus are doing and how these things are coming with me, to outward face, looking at the world, seeing what's happening, release the the bonds of the oppressed, uh, to break every yoke, uh, to loose the chains of injustice and tie the cords of the yoke. Yokes are um, uh, burdensome uh, things that stick people together like, uh, well, not people, but... uh, um, uh, ox and other things like that. They keep them kind of uh, bound, um, um, and so what's happening is, is it's, there's a transition that says, "No, the kind of fasting I care about, the ways I want you to sacrifice are not in um, self per se but ways. I want you to sacrifice for others." It's a change, and it's a change that uh, uh, from self-focused devotion to other-focused, others-focused service. This sermon series is, wasn't supposed to be a sermon series on mercy and justice. This sermon series was supposed to be a sermon series, <laughs> you're going to laugh, on, uh, on finances, on stuff, on things like tithing. About five months ago, we were sure this is what we needed. You know, financially, we're doing okay. You know, it's, it's tight times and not so tight times. And we're like, you know... Um, we really need to help our people think more biblically about their stuff. And that's okay. And I don't really shy away from that so much. It's a, it's a little bit difficult and always feels kind of awkward and all that kind of stuff. But I'm like, you know, it's in the Bible deal. I don't like lots of things in the Bible. We all got to deal with it just preach and we keep on moving. Um, but... Uh, Pastor Howard, and we we kind of decided on it. We're like, yeah, that's what we need to do. Things are a little bit tough. We're getting ready to move into the summer. Summer a little tough. We're already about, you know, about three-quarter size right now. You know, we're like, oh, okay. You know, we're always about two weeks from not having a salary paid. You know, we're we're always a little bit nervous like that. So we're like, that's a great idea. And as we got closer to it, Pastor Howard ruined it, by the way. He's like, yeah, I just, I don't think we're supposed to do that. I, I don't think we're supposed to be doing that. I think, I don't have any good, we're not doing that for them. We're doing that for us. I was like, "Go, oh, that's right. <laughs> so he does mercy and justice and talks about giving money away. Which is so Christian, it's ridiculous. It's so like Jesus. We follow our pastor, you know, we're still in the same place. But so last week, what did he say? He says, the hardest thing for you guys going to be able to do is to say where you're needy. We're just throwing money out the door now. We really are. Okay. That's what we're doing. And it's great and wonderful and true and right. And it's 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 a positive example from this transition of verse 5 into verse 6. From focus on the self to focus on the other. Let's sniff it out. Where are we in need? One of our community groups last week did something ridiculous, which is so beautiful. They started talking about the sermon a little bit. And they stopped and they said, okay, everybody knows the hard thing to talk about was what we're in need. So they went around and talked around. They went around the group and said, where are they going to be in need in the next couple months? I mean, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. Good application of the sermon. But it's so Christian of you. Thank you. Thank you for embodying that. Thank you for uh, opening yourself up to a community that our community can love on you. We can be freed from self-absorption and uh, to, to love each other better. It's not just a focus on the other It's a focus on the whole. And here's where you get the whole person, the whole system, the whole reality of what it means to be a Christian. Is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free, to break every yoke? Is is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing of finger and the malicious talk. And if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, and satisfy the needs of the oppressed. I will do these things. Spend yourself on those. It's saying, we may be too spiritual. <laughs> we may be thinking that it's all about these, the, the uh, uh, well, I, in one sense, it's not really fair to say that. It's, we're not spiritual enough in the sense that our spirituality doesn't involve bodies and, and the physical and, uh, and a, a connection with the real world and real systems. Real ways we relate to each other and, and, real ways decisions are made. In one sense, it's not that we're, 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 just, we, we, we kind of spiritualize it in the sense like it's a big cloud in the sky kind of spiritualized instead of this kind of thud of spirituality that the Bible brings to the real world and to real places and to real human beings and real time and space. We're too, uh, we, we, we divorce the body and the soul too much together from each other. It's a focus on the whole, how weak we are here as a church, as a church as a whole. It is, uh, as you know, if you've spent any time reading this, uh, which is our little booklet, it is our great desire. To be about the redemption of all creation, we absolutely think the doorway to redemption of all creation is an intimate and vital relationship with your God, found in Christ Jesus. We are not backing away from the entryway of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't, I don't, I didn't mean to say that was a bad thing, but uh, but we absolutely believe that that is true and right and good, and it is just the doorway into all of what it means that Jesus has come to redeem. It is a beautiful doorway. But it is just the doorway. Christ Central uh, Church will equip and encourage people to share the gospel, make disciples in their spheres of influence, family, neighborhood, and vocation. We want to be advocates of human restoration by embodying God's ministry of bridging, bringing dignity to race, gender, and culture. We will challenge each other to act with justice, integrity, and mercy in our various vocations. We will work to train and mentor men and women for ministry that address the social and economic needs of the community. We will call people to love their neighbors through civic responsibility. We want to break this kind of over-spiritual or under-spiritualizing of things, this kind of cloudy spirituality that we so much have. We want to, to move past this and we need help here. We need help so that we can all have the hard conversations with each other and move forward in it. Okay. I know I just dropped the mother load on you guys the last little bit. So let's, uh, let's talk about what the next thing you do to dismantle atomic bomb. The next thing you do to dismantle an atomic bomb is sabbath. Is the next thing in the verses is to keep the sabbath. Now does that sound completely awkward and weird? But I mean, let's go back to the UN placements and getting everybody kind of squared away. Is to sabbath is to rest. See sabbath if you don't know is one of the 10 commandments. It's one of the things we're supposed to do. One in seven to take the day and to dedicate it to the Lord. Cease in our labors is what it says. If we can, there's uh, uh, some of us who have uh, uh, work in 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 situations where they bring mercy to people and keep people alive and other things like that. And it can't be done. The scripture actually allows for that very clearly. Um, but it's a, it's normal. It's part of the nat- natural framework of the way we were created. Is to rest. But it's not just, you know, that, that it's utilitarianly better. That that fallow, if you leave a, a land fallow for uh, one in seven years, that it actually is more productive. That's not really the point. The point is that it makes us dependent upon God. See, for me, it's Sundays. If Sundays I'm busting a move trying to get my next week's sermon or get something else done, I, I'm taking control of what... Ministry has to happen. It's me saying, you know what? It all depends on me, not... It depends on God to do miraculous things. You see, all the things that are talked about that come forth from this passage when our people are authentic and when they uh, kind of repent of their hypocrisy and uh, repent towards uh, away from the self and to the other and think more holistically, all the things that happen. It, you may end up with a, a, a reputation uh, of being uh, um, rebuilders of, uh, of broken walls and restorers of streets with dwellings. But the actor in all those things is Yahweh himself. You understand that, don't you? Yahweh is the one that actually talks... When, when In English translations, when it's capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that's the translation of Yahweh. It's the personal name of God, and it intends to be. And the glory of Yahweh will be your real God. Then you will call, and Yahweh will answer. The, uh, uh, Yahweh will guide you always. Call the Sabbath the light and Yahweh's holy day honorable. Then you will find joy in Yahweh. Then you will find your joy in Yahweh and I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord Yahweh has spoken. This is a very intimate, I know it's a rebuke and it's a, tr- a trumpet blast and all those things, but it's a very intimate call to more. It's when it ends look how it ends so beautifully the mouth of yahweh has spoken it's just saying daddy's talking daddy's talking i'm the one that makes all things seem to be you can come join the peace train i'm driving you can come join and be part of the restoration of all things it's my restoration i'm the one that brings the rear guard and the foreguard as we talk about in the scriptures I'm the one that makes all these things to be. I'm the one that brings all this about. You see, guys, this was spoken to Israel 700 B.C. about. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. They didn't stop the exploitation and God brought them out, brought an oppressor over them so that they would repent, had them exiled. This passage actually longs For one, Yahweh, to come and do it right. And so he sent his son, Jesus. Yahweh sent Jesus to be the one who's famous for restoring broken things. He sent Jesus to be the one who is uh, holistically uh, loving of folk. Who heals people? Who clean Who heals their eyes? Who uh, helps do systematic change in, in the way that the, the temple was oppressive in selling overpriced goods to to the poor by throwing over tables? He's done things like restore right relationship with you and the uh, you and the Father. He's done all those things. He is the restorer of the broken places. He is the one who uh, restores the streets with dwellings and is the repair of the broken walls. It's actually Jesus who is this person. Jesus is the one who sets all these promises true for us. You guys, I don't think you can do this. I really don't. I, I think you're called to it, and we're called to repent our way into it. But we look as Jesus as the one who fuels this in us, fuels a wisdom and a care and a love for all those things. We can't turn to ourselves and get in a good committee and figure out how to make this happen. We pray desperately that the Lord would aid us, would help us here. Let me end with the last song on how to uh, dismantle an atomic bomb. It is called Yahweh. Some of the lines won't be completely relevant, you'll get it though. Take these shoes, click clacking down some dead end street. Take these shoes and make them fit. Take this shirt, polyester white trash made in nowhere. Take this shirt and make it clean. Take this soul, Yahweh, stranded in some skin and bones. Take this soul and make it sing. Yahweh, Yahweh, always pain before the child is born. Yahweh, Yahweh, I'm still waiting for the dawn. Take these hands, teach them what to carry. Take these hands, them And don't make a fist. Take this mouth so quick to criticize. Take this mouth and give it a kiss. Yahweh, Yahweh. Always pain before the child is born. Yahweh, Yahweh. Still, I'm waiting for the dawn. Why the dark before the dawn? Take this city. A city should be shining on a hill. Take this city, if it be your will. For no man can own, no man can take. Take this heart. Take this heart, take this heart, and make it break. How do you dismantle an atomic bomb? (laughs) On bended knee, we pray that the Lord would change our hearts for the other, and we rest on Him to accomplish His good work. On bended knee, we pray that the Lord would have us change our hearts for the other, And then we rest, we Sabbath, in His good work. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank You. We thank You, Yahweh, for sending Your Son on our behalf. We thank You that You you love us. That You are committed to Your covenant to not leave Your people. You're committed to uh, bring your people not just closer to you, but closer to a full dignity, closer to a right relationship with each other and the world. Lord, I pray that you'd convince us of it. Would you give us hope for it? We ask in your name. Amen.